This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. And walked on the face of this earth. It's very important that you understand that. So that's what I was trying to read that this John, son of Zebedee, had a brother called James, did this, this, that. Down to you guys had me quoting UC Boss and who again did I quote that last time? And who again? I think it was just UC Boss that I quoted that actually even added to the account. He didn't add to the account, but he added to what you call the historicity of John the Apostle to say at some point he was called the Bishop of Ephesus, that there was actually a church he had. And these are people that you can say, okay, even if you don't, even if you don't know someone that knows John, you know someone that knows UC Boss. Do you understand? Now, the reason why I'm saying all of all this is when we read John, if you remember, one of the other things I said is my, um, my heart for this series that we're going into, for these teachings on John and everything, is that we catch the heart that John had. That what did this guy see? Again, if you want to anchor your thoughts, just look at this guy. He's not John, this is Sammy, but just look at him. But think about it that someone physical like this person stay, staying here caught something caught something that drove him for the rest of his life to move in a certain way. These apostles caught something that had them going entry. Nowadays, you want to go somewhere, you are using your phone to check Google Maps. Had them using whatever map they had at that time, going into places, preaching and beseeching and pleading and fighting with people and contending for this gospel. What did they catch? And um, in reading the, just not just John, but the other letters of John, that's the intent, that we catch his heart. This particular apostle, what did he see? At the end of us going through this, that's, that's, that's what I'm hoping, that it should almost be as good as you were there. Because guess what? The gospel of God, which is the power of God unto salvation, is powerful. Is that powerful. That's why even over 2,000 years later, this power is still compelling us it's still moving us so that's the fire that i want us to catch that's the fire that i want us to catch so last week uh, that last i might say last week sometimes just forgive me so we started from john one how this particular apostle had a revelation and introduced jesus in a way that no other person did in a way that no other person did and if you understand the what i what i even started with it's good that the other Gospel accounts introduced Jesus the way he did, the way Matthew would tell of his genealogy, the way so that you can know without a fact that Jesus walked the earth. You can trace him, it's traceable. These are different accounts, different people that said he's good like that. Is the way they said it. So each of the gospels have what they, they contribute, aside just telling the stories, without knowing or who knows, maybe known to them or unknown to them. There's a part of um the Inerrancy, there's a part of the concreteness of the message they preached, such that thousands of years later, of years later, people who have who have now come up with all some um, forms of methodologies on analyzing if something is true or not, can put these things to the test and they will pass that test with 100 percent accuracy. So different people, different gospels have what they contributed. Anyway, but this particular gospel that decided to start by revealing who Jesus is, not who Jesus was where he said in the beginning was the word. So that's what we went through. I'm not going to go through it, but I'm going to read it so that we're going to start from verse 6. And it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Reading from the NIV. So now, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So when I read this part, the first question I asked was, why did Jesus need the witness of John the Baptist? Why did John the Baptist have to come? I want us to read a scripture and I'll, I'll walk you through what I thought. John 5 verse 33. That's going to be a long read. We're reading all the way to, I think, verse 47. And this is Jesus speaking. Okay, maybe I should read from much earlier. Okay, let me just read from, let me start from verse 31. If I, testify, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Right? Um, quick clarification about this, because much later, I think in John 8, you will see where Jesus also said that if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. My testimony is valid. But here he says, if I testify my, about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, the reason why he was saying that was, if you go um, further up, right, where he was talking, the context of what he was saying really was within that day and time, you are not the one that will just testify about yourself. But Jesus said later that even if I testify about myself, I know who I am, my testimony is true. But when he says my testimony is not true, what he meant there is in that context, in, in that Jewish context, you, other people testify, other people bear witness. You cannot come and say, it's me that will testify about me. So that's what he was trying to tell them, that if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, right? And again, this is Jesus also dragging them to say, you are saying that if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. And he's also telling them that it's not that I accept human testimony, but read with me, you hear, you get it. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that just testify about me. Now, this is like third. He said, John, he said, he testifies about himself. He said, my father. He now says the scriptures. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings. Again, he says that. But I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your heart. I have come in my father's name and you do not accept me. 
But if someone else comes in his own names, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you will believe me, for he wrote about me. I can add as the fifth testifier. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So in trying to answer this question, why did John have to come, right? Why did John have to come ahead? Jesus said it here. He mentioned John as one of the people that testified. And it was also to fulfill scriptures as well, right? To testify of Jesus, to fulfill scriptures. But there was something interesting from this John 5 that I read, and starting from this John 1. Jesus has a, what's bigger, what's, what do you have, what, what do you call, big, what's bigger than a PhD? After master's PhD, what do you call it? Professor, there's one that starts with E, Emeritus. He has an Emeritus Professorate PhD Masters in Understanding Man. And you would think, and we'll talk about it later, that Jesus said it like, how many times? I said, I know you men. You believe testimonies of one another. Okay, John testifies of me. You still don't believe. I testify of me. You still don't believe. My works testify. You still don't believe. Even the Moses, you still don't believe. And there's a reason why, and he gave it in that John 5, and we'll go back there. But anyway, in his understanding and exposition on the nature of man, he has explained to them, and this is why man is, is without excuse, to say everything humanly possible that man would typically need as a testimony of God walking the earth, Jesus provided. John was one of those things, so that man is without excuse. Because if you were to ask people in today's day and age, what do you want to see to believe that there is a God? What do you want to see to believe that there is a God that walked on this earth? I can promise you that from the scriptures, you will see that man has been given all of all those testimonies. So that nobody will get to heaven and say, eh, but Jesus, you could have done one handstand for me to believe in you. It's not possible. Is he supernatural works? You don't do them. Is he of another person? And here's the funny thing. These people believed in John. They believed in John. Before Jesus came, they knew John. They knew who John was and everything. So they believed in John. And this is someone they believed in testifying of another person. They still didn't believe in Jesus. Jesus showed them even from the laws and prophets. There was a place in Luke 24, I think, where he says, and he took time expounding from the law and the prophets everything that was said about him. They still did not believe. And this is why. If we go back to that John 5, from verse 43, you know, I'll come back to 43. But earlier on, um, where he says, I have a testimony weightier than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me, and the Father who has sent me himself... Let me go down. No, that's not what I'm looking for. Mm. I think it's earlier. When I find it, I'll come back to it. Anyway, but the reason why people that 
normally would have things because he said there that normally you people will believe if another person testifies so what is it about man that has made him not believe in jesus jesus told them that the reason is because there's darkness in their heart and this is one of the beautiful things about the super abundant grace because I don't want you now thinking that is it is it are you saying it's impossible for anybody to believe in Jesus? It's not because all ten of us are in this room. So if you have those faculties, trust me, everybody has those faculties as well. But for them, he kept telling them that it's because your heart is darkened. It's because your heart is darkened. He said it in I think that was in the same John. Um, in same John 12 verse 46 let's go there he told them that I've come so that none of you will stay in this darkness I know you people you cannot afford to stay there 12 verse 12 verse 46 I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. He kept reiterating this thing over and over again. You people are in darkness. That is why you have refused to believe. But I have come as the light. So I will help you. So I will help you. Back again to the testimony of John, right? Um, he came to fulfill scriptures. He came to testify of Jesus. And the reason why this is important is this is just one of the many things, one of the different testifiers of which man has no excuse, right, to not believe in God, to not believe in Jesus. Now let's continue reading. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Again, John is talking about the darkness that enveloped people in this world. Because think about it, for him to start this particular chapter talking about the deity of Jesus, talking about Jesus being God, what he was just basic, basically, in fact, in some, some of the older, I can't remember who it was, let me not even try and quote the name, one of the early fathers that was commenting on John called him the evangelist John. Because if someone is doing proper Christian apologetics and is trying to tie meaning of life and purpose, and he starts and enters his, he starts his evangelical um, preaching by starting from the meaning of life. He starts from God. He start, that's, you know, that's, that's what John 1, 1 says. He starts from all of all these things you are here in the beginning. Because most of the questions that people have about purpose and life is just trying to understand what am I doing here. And so this evangelist John, let me use his words, right, keeps re-emphasizing something. That this world was in darkness. So in case you want to evangelize, you can use John's template. He keeps em emphasizing something. This world was in darkness. This world was in darkness. They were groping. They could never have found God on their own. So for them to find God, someone came. And this, same, this person that came is Jesus. That was the message of John. That's basically what, Jesus, what John was saying. And then he keeps emphasizing something about the darkness that covered the hearts of men. The reason why is because, do you remember when Pisan spoke about why it's important to reshape values while you reconcile men to God? Sometimes if people don't realize they are in darkness, they won't even be able to understand 
that they need light. So he kept re-emphasizing they were all in darkness. He would say it over and over away in different places. Jesus knew their hearts that this is why they couldn't turn to him. They were in darkness. They were in darkness. And now the light enters. So again, Evangelist John now starts. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The true light was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, the Jews. But his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. It is possible to think that for him to say the world did not know him, the world did not receive him, and then it's not possible. It's not possible. But... He now, he now continued that um, particular school of, um, line of thought and said, but to those who did receive him. So it's actually possible. People actually have the faculties to receive him. People have the faculties to believe. Because when light comes and shines in darkness, verse 4 tells us that darkness cannot comprehend it. Darkness cannot comprehend it. So people actually do have the ability to believe in Jesus. So don't despair or don't ever fall into the, um, what would I call it? Into the rabbit hole of thinking that, whoa, the whole world, you are in darkness, no hope for you. It's not possible. Because there are those who did receive him. Amen? Yet yeah, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a, or a husband's will but born of God. Now let's stay here for a bit. Again, in man's wisdom, if you were to tell men that, okay, God wants to, just permit my plainness, God wants to burn children. The first things that they will most likely suggest as a way for God to do this would be okay. It should be born of natural descent. And say, no, I don't want that. And I'll be like, okay, um, let's decide. Let two people come together. Let them be born. Like, no. Okay, let the patriarch of the house decide to do that. No. The reason why he, these three particular things he mentioned are very significant is number one, when you say not of natural descent, it's important so that nobody can come and claim that is for a particular descendant of people. So people can now come and claim that this thing is for Jews only. No. When God was going to come and do his thing, when he's coming to say, I'm going to get people born of God, he said, not of natural descent. So that already cancels out. You can never come and assume and say, no, it's only for one particular people of a certain descent of Jews. It's only for Jews alone. Not just any type of Jews. The Jews of the... So it has already cancelled it out. Not of human decision. Another reason why I cancel this one out is so that you cannot say that I am the one who has gotten you born again. As I've decided and I lay my hands on you, you will now become born again. He has canceled that one out. It's not going to be of any human being's decision. No. It's not going to be of any human being's will in that particular sense. Nor of a husband's will. So that people cannot say that because I, the wife, and the husband 
I've given birth to a child. He can now name this child born of God. Cancelled. So all the different methods that man would have used if they were going to do being born of God has been cancelled out. Nobody can claim it. So any kind of funny doctrines that want to use all those type of methods to say you cannot get born again on behalf of another person. You don't have that power. I'm not even sorry. You don't have the power. Nobody has the power. Neither does any descendant or any particular set of people have the power to claim this as well. So if all of these methods are none of the methods that a person will use to get born of God, what is the method? What is the method? Let's go to John 3 verse 6. Very simple. It says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. That's the simple answer. And if I were to go back to verse 4, this is an answer to the question. Nicodemus is asking the question that I'm asking. So if none of these methods are a method to get born of God, what is the method? Because Nicodemus asks that, how can someone be born? So this will help you understand again what it means when you say someone is born again. Because you have to be born of God. That's what he's telling you that Jesus came to accomplish, to get people to be born of God. But how? And that's the same question that Nicodemus was asking. Surely they cannot enter into their womb, into their mother's womb, a second time. And then Jesus tells him, "Very, very, I, I tell, I, uh, very, very, I tell you, okay, my Bible doesn't have verily, verily. I miss all those Bibles that have verily, verily. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Right? So to be born of God is that adoption." It's an adoption by God. Another reason why this thing is very important is nobody can claim. And I know sometimes we get carried away when we're trying to say, I'm, I'm a son of God. I'm born. Nobody can claim that God has a, there's God the mother and God the father. And God the mother pushed me out. So just the same way, goats cannot born lion those are all the different analogies you go to born good so that means the very essence the very same essence if you touch me you have touched you can't claim it because it has already cancelled all those things this flesh was born of is born of flesh one two and it was born of a man's will so if you can see that i was born because my mother and my father decided to come together so that already cancels it's impossible for me to claim that that is what it means by scripture to be born of god do you understand what I'm saying? So it's clearly telling you that this particular type of being born is an adoption. So that nobody can begin to claim any funny thing. On one end, nobody can claim to say, because it's of natural descent and I am the king of that particular, um, what's it called, tribe or descendant, I'm the one that will determine. That's cancelled. At the same time, you also cannot come and claim that my own being born of God is I was pushed out, so my very nature is not possible. So that's what it means to be born again, actually. In, you are adopted, so you cannot begin to claim of the, you are the same, what's the word I'll use, same metaphysics of God. I am there for God. Please, maintain the way the scripture has said. You don't need to create any other thing. Okay? So, um, reading one of the <laughs> quotes of somewhere that I saw, I saw um, early fathers, those who are considered among the children of God should know that this is accomplished through their, not through their ability, 
but through the grace of God. So, another reason why it was important that being born of God was described that way is you cannot claim it. You cannot have claimed to have brought it down in any way. It's God that has decided to adopt you and then you receive it. So understanding what it means to be born again, to be born of God in its true form is very important so that you don't fall into any form of thing. I remember when we were talking about the Trinity, I mentioned the concept of maintaining the tension of scripture. What that means is any small thing that, any small feeling, and sometimes, most times it starts from emotions really, being getting carried away. Any small feeling you have to, maybe want to overemphasize something or to de-emphasize something, resist it. Maintain the tension of scripture because it is from those small things that by the time we come back, we'll have seen you inside somewhere. So always maintain the tension of scripture. You are born of God does not mean God gave birth to you and you have his, you understand. Anyway. <clears throat> so it says, children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision of, of a husband's will, but born of God. Then the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Which translation said that? I think that was message or so. But it's very sticky. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. Again, I'm going back to man and how men do not recognize God. Because if John is saying here that we have seen his glory, you would have thought that the people around in that, in that particular time, if they had seen the glory of Jesus, they would have been able to recognize him. Like, doesn't that make sense? Like, if you had seen the glory... And he says, this is the glory of the one and only son of God who came from the father. Why didn't they recognize him? It's a question that when you answer, it will help you in evangelistic work. Why didn't they recognize him? They were closer, they were closer to the law of Moses and all of all those things than people are in a day and time. Why didn't they recognize him? And I'll tell you, this glory of the one and only son was not the glory that they were expecting when they were expecting a messiah if you had asked them and it's the same way if you ask man today if god were to come what will you be expecting describe how his glory will look i promise you that out of 10 adjectives nine or 9.5 or 9.9. .9. I don't know how it can be 9.5. Out of 10, we speak to things around affluence, riches, big manness, and all of that. That is why they could not recognize him. Because if you ask them when they are expecting a Messiah, what they were probably expecting is a king that will come and take over the Roman government and come in the power of David and be so powerful and, and be so strong. So the glory that God, Jesus had, because John said it, he indeed had glory. He did. The glory that Jesus had, they could not even still recognize him as the true light. They couldn't. Because what they were expecting wasn't what they saw. What, how they say it? What, 
what I ordered versus what I saw. But guess what? What they were expecting was a God made in man's image. Not God who is verily God. They were expecting a God made in man's image, which is the problem most times. People who are fighting God, people who are doing this, by the time you ask them, describe this God that you are fighting, I promise you that what they will tell you is a God made in man's image. Or if you ask them that, if they say they want God to come, they want God to show, they want, ask them, okay, if you want God to come, well, just dis- describe, use descriptive words to describe what it is that you are looking for. What most times they will describe to you is a God made in man's image. Tall pro max. Which for whatever version of their culture they were thinking, they were probably thinking of something else. That was why they couldn't recognize the glory of God. But what did the glory of God look like? Where he says, we have seen the glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father. What the glory of someone who came from the father looks like is someone who is full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace and full of truth. When God decided to come down to this earth, he did not come in any of the high-faluting, high-looking type of things that men would, would think about. He came in grace. And this is something that we need to understand about grace. Grace is God's disposition towards man that makes him favor them. Because if God were to come in his righteous, ah, don't let me use that word, but if he were to come in, his, in the full power of his morality, in terms of coming to give people the water, water that they deserve, and he were to come to earth like that, without grace, what you will see, you will not like it. Because if a truly holy and a truly righteous God were to come in judgment, what we will see, you will not like it. That is why you will now understand when John is describing his glory and he's saying he came in a glory that is full of grace. Because he came ready to sacrifice. He came ready to give himself. That is what it means to be full of grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then he came in truth, full of grace and full of truth. The best way I can describe that truth is because we're still reading in this line, is light. See, the, the beautiful thing about truth, and it's truly beautiful, is that truth is absolute. There are no many truths. I hope we know that, Sha. We know that there are no many truths. That is what the fullness of his glory looked like. He did not come looking to fill and fit the appetites and desires of everybody and all they wanted. So what truth will look like on Jesus walking on the earth is he will tell people that this thing that I'm doing for you is not for you. And the person will tell him, please give me because even the dogs. But to, uh, to sensibilities of this day and age, people like, oh my God, how can Jesus even say that? That's the truth. What truth will look like is him telling people that your heart is darker. What truth looks like is him telling people ho-ha, the absoluteness of God's thoughts about the nonsense that they are doing. That is the glory in which he came. He did not come looking to... That's why he said it. In that, that's why I like that John 5 very well. He told them that I'm not looking for your testimony. The testimony I have for myself is enough. I know who I am and I know what I came here to do. Because if it was pandering to what different people were saying, then there will be many truths. Because someone will say, oh, 
I want a God that looks like God. Can't you come and save us from Samaria? Then you will do that one. Another person will come and say, Oh, God, can't you do this? And then we'll come and do that. But no, he came full of grace, ready to pour out his life for people who did not even recognize him, for people who did not rate him or who did not love him. That is the fullness of grace. And then he came in the fullness of truth, which is the only way you people have been in darkness for all your life, for all your father's father's life. The only way you are only go ever going to get to God, your only chance, this is not even your best chance or your, mm -mm, your only chance is to come through me. That is the truth of God. The truth of God is that the only way you're ever going to come to God, there's no amount of goodness, there's no amount of uprightness, there's no amount of anything. The only way you're going to come to God is through me. So that is the grace and truth that he came in and that was the glory of Jesus. So I'm not surprised that they could not recognize it. I'm not because they would have probably been looking for something else. And again, this will help you when you do evangelism. Because sometimes when you preach that, for God so loved the world, be like John. Before you quote, for God to love the world, go and begin to reshape what people know God as. What people understand, understand their sin as. Why they should know that they are sinners and why they need a savior. If not, just the same way Jesus was just looking at them. They are... He would just say that these ones, they are, in, you know that they, are, they are in darkness. I can say it with an absoluteness. Anybody that is not in Christ, I don't care how nice you are. You are in nice darkness, but it's still darkness. Right? So as you are preaching to people, those are things that you should bear in mind. You're going to need to reshape some values. You're going to need to start by redefining to some people your God that you, whatever you are thinking, when I say for God to love the world, it might be offending you because you already made God in your image. And if I do my best to break it down to you and, still, and you are still offended by that God, then, ah, I'll not say more than that one. So last um, scriptures I'm reading. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace. We have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one, the one, the one and only Son, who himself God, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship to the Father, has made him known. This is the gospel. This is a good way to evangelize. That was what John was shouting, that this guy, this guy, God forgive me, <laughs> this Jesus that you are seeing here walking on this earth, whose sandals I cannot even tie, this is the one person that is going to save you. This is the one person that is going to bring light to you. This is the one person who has come in fullness of grace. This is the father finally coming to express his grace. Because even if all people for, that we see from Hebrews 11 tasted of one way or the other, it tells us that they never still entered. This is it. That's what John was shouting. This is it. Finally, you people have, we have all been in darkness. Finally, God has come. In his grace, nobody has seen the Father, but we have seen Jesus, so we have verily seen the Father, and he has come in his fullness of grace for all, grace for grace, because that this thing just shows the superabundance, the superabundance of God's grace. It shows the fullness of his grace. 
his vast amounts of his grace that someone has come not because of anything you've done he has come to sacrifice he has the, the most recent word that I've heard being used and I and I like he has condescended to come and sacrifice himself for you who are in darkness who don't know truth that is the grace that he has come because if like I said if God was to come in and it's rightfully so because I'm sorry y'all are ants he's God if he were to come in his moral indignation you would you, you wouldn't even see him to say hello fire pew, born everybody disappeared but he came in grace and he came in truth and so that was what john was testifying and shouting and witnessing of this jesus that walked on the face on the face of this same earth that we are walking on this thing that we believe is not old wives fables hallelujah it's not a myth it's not a myth see the devil has tried in many ways there are many people who it will shock you the total what word do I use? The total nonsense that they believe. Because the devil has mixed and mingled and told them all manner of things and have discredited the Bible, tried to... But this thing that we believe is not, is not hearsay. It's not fables. It is the truth. And truth is absolute. What I mean by truth is absolute. There's only one truth. There's only one true truth. There's no... There's only just... There's just truth. And then there's everything else. It's absolute. This thing that we believe is the actual truth. Jesus actually walked on this earth. And he came to accomplish a mission. And thank God he came. Because by him coming, I can taste of that grace. And I can walk in that truth. And now that I've tasted of that grace and I'm walking in that truth. That's why I have to tell other people. And God will help us as we do. Amen. So I want us to just pray as we wrap up service today. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.